Part three, chapter twenty of the Tree of Heaven by May Sinclair. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Part three, Victory, chapter twenty. It was as Nicholas had said. Anthony and John were rejected. Anthony on account of his age. John because of the mitral murmur that he didn't know about the governor had lied john said like a good un swore he was under thirty-five and stuck to it he might have had a chance if he'd left it at that because he looked a jolly sight better than most of em when he was stripped but they'd given him so good an innings that the poor old thing got above himself and spun them a yarn about his hair having gone grey from a recent shock that dished him they said they knew that sort of hair they'd been seeing a lot of it lately anthony was depressed he said bitter things about red tape and declared that if that was the way things were going to be managed it was a bad lookout for the country john was furious he said the man who examined him was a blasted idiot who didn't know his own rotten business he'd actually had the beastly cheek to tell him they didn't want him dropping down dead when he went into action or fainting from sheer excitement after they'd been to the trouble and expense of training him as if he'd be likely to do a damn silly thing like that he'd never been excited in his life it was enough to give him heart disease so john and anthony followed the example of their women and joined the ambulance classes of the red cross and presently they learned to their disgust that though they might possibly be accepted as volunteers for home service their disabilities would keep them forever from the front at this point anthony's attention was diverted to his business by a sudden government demand for timber as he believed that the war would be over in four months he did not at first realize the personal significance of this still there could be no doubt that its immediate message for him was that business must be attended to he had not attended to it many days before he saw that his work for his country lay there under his hand in his offices in his stackyards and factories he sighed and sat down to it and turned his back resolutely on the glamour of the front the particular business in hand had great issues and a fascination of its own and his son john sat down to it beside him with a devoted body and a brain alive to the great issues but with an ungovernable and abstracted soul and nicky a recruit in kitchener's army went rapidly through the first courses of his training sleeping under canvas marching in sun and wind and rain digging trenches ankle-deep waist-high breast-high in earth till his clear skin grew clearer and his young hard body harder every day and every day the empty spiritual space between him and michael widened with the exception of michael and old mrs fleming anthony's entire family had offered itself to its country it was mobilized from francis and anthony down to the very aunties in those days there were few red cross volunteers who were not sure that sooner or later they would be sent to the front their only fear was that they might not be trained and ready when the moment of the summons came strong young girls hustled for the best places at the ambulance classes fragile elderly women twitching with nervous anxiety contended with these remorseless ones and were pushed to the rear yet they went on contending sustained by their extraordinary illusion aunt louie displaying an unexpected and premature dexterity with bandages 
was convinced that she would be sent to the front if nobody else was aunt emmeline and aunt edith in states of cerebral excitement while still struggling to find each other's arteries declared that they were going to the front they saw no earthly reason why they should not go there uncle maurice haunted the emergency classrooms at the polytechnic wearing an esmarch triangular bandage round his neck and volunteered as an instructor he got mixed up with his bandages and finally consented to the use of his person as a lay figure for practical demonstrations while he waited for his orders to go to the front they forbore to comment on the palpable absurdity of each other's hopes for with the first outbreak of the war the three miss flemings had ceased from mutual recrimination they were shocked into a curious gentleness to each other every evening the old schoolroom michael's study was turned into a red cross demonstration hall and there the queer sight was to be seen of louis placable and tender showing edith over and over again how to adjust a scalp bandage on emmeline's head and of emmeline motionless for hours under edie's little clumsy pinching fingers it was thus with small vibrations of tenderness and charity that they responded to the vast rhythm of the war and granny immutable in her aged wisdom and malevolence pushed out her lower lip at them if you three would leave off that folly and sit down and knit you might be some use said granny kitchener says that if every woman in england knitted from morning till night he wouldn't have enough socks for his army granny knitted from morning till night she knitted conspicuously as a protest against bandage practice giving to her soft and gentle action an air of energy inimical to her three unmarried daughters and not even louis had the heart to tell her that all her knitting had to be unravelled overnight to save the wool a set of silly women getting in kitchener's way and wasting khaki granny behaved as if the war were her private and personal affair as if kitchener were her right-hand man and all the other women were interfering with them yet it looked as if all the women would be mobilized before all the men the gates of holloway were opened and mrs blathwaite and her followers received a free pardon on their pledge to abstain from violence during the period of the war and instantly in the first week of war the suffrage unions and leagues and societies already organized and disciplined by seven years methodical resistance presented their late enemy the government with an instrument of national service made to its hand and none the worse because originally devised for its torture and embarrassment the little vortex of the women's movement was swept without a sound into the immense vortex of the war the women rose up all over england and went into uniform and dorothea appeared one day wearing the khaki tunic breeches and puttees of the women's service corps she had joined a motor ambulance as chauffeur driving the big morse car that anthony had given to it dorothea really had a chance of being sent to belgium before the end of the month meanwhile she convoyed belgian refugees from cannon street station she saw nothing before her as yet her mind was like cannon street station a dreadful twilit terminus into which all the horror and misery of belgium poured and was congested cannon street station presently it was as if she were spending all of her life that counted there as if for years she had been familiar with the scene 
arch upon iron arch and girder after iron girder holding up the blurred transparency of the roof iron rails running under the long roof that was like the roof of a tunnel open at one end by day a greyish light filtered through smoke and grit and steam lamps opaque white globes hanging in the thick air like dead moons by night a bluish light and large white globes grown opalescent like moons lit again to a ghastly ruinous life the iron breasts of engines huge and triumphant advancing under the immense fanlight of the open arch long trains of carriages packed tight with packages with enormous bundles human heads appearing here and there above the swollen curves of the bundles human bodies emerging in the struggle to bring forth the bundles through the narrow doors for the first few weeks the war meant to dorothea not bleeding wounds and death but just these trainloads of refugees just this one incredible spectacle of belgium pouring itself into cannon street station her clear hard mind tried and failed to grasp the sequences of which the final act was the daily unloading of tons of men women and children on cannon street platform yesterday they were staggering under those bundles along their straight flat roads between the everlasting rows of poplars their towns and villages flamed and smoked behind them some of them goaded like tired cattle had felt german bayonets at their backs yesterday and this morning they were here brave and gay smiling at dorothea as she carried their sick on her stretcher and their small children in her arms and they were still proud of themselves a little girl tripped along the platform carrying in one hand a large pasteboard box covered with black oilcloth and in the other a cage with a goldfinch in it she looked back at dorothea and smiled proud of herself because she had saved her goldfinch a belgium boy carried a paralyzed old man on his shoulders he grinned at dorothea proud of himself because he had saved his grandfather a young flemish peasant woman pushed back the shawl that covered her baby's face to show her how pretty he was she laughed because she had borne him and saved him and there were terrible things significant of yesterday women and girls idiotic with outrage and grief a young man lamed and trying to throw himself into a moving train because he thought his lost mother was in it the ring screaming the agony of a woman giving birth to her child on the platform a death in the train stiff upturned feet at the end of a stretcher that the police ambulance carried away and as dorothea drove her carloads of refugees day after day in perfect safety she sickened with impatience and disgust safety was hard and bitter to her her hidden self was unsatisfied it had a monstrous longing it wanted to go where the guns sounded and the shells burst and the villages flamed and smoked to go along the straight flat roads between the poplars where the refugees had gone so that her nerves and flesh should know and feel their suffering and their danger she was not feeling anything now except the shame of her immunity she thought i can't look at a belgian woman without wishing i were dead i shall have no peace till i've gone her surface self was purely practical she thought if i were in belgium i could get them out of it quicker than they could walk dorothea could bring all her mind to bear on her belgians 
because it was at ease about her own people they at any rate were safe her father and poor don were out of it michael was not in it yet though of course he would be in it some time she tried not to think too much about michael nicky was safe for the next six months and frank was safe frank was training recruits he told her he might be kept indefinitely at that infernal job but for that he would be fighting now he wanted her to be sorry for him and she was sorry for him and she was glad too one afternoon late in august she had come home to sleep till dinner-time between her day's work and her night's work when she found him upstairs in her study he had been there an hour waiting for her by himself the others were all at bandage practice in the schoolroom i hope you don't mind he said your mother told me to wait up here she had come in straight from the garage there was a light fur of dust on her boots and on the shoulders of her tunic and on her face and hair her hands were black with oil and dirt from her car he looked at her taking it all in the khaki uniform it was the first time he had seen her in it the tunic breeches and puttees the loose felt hat turned up at one side its funny boyish chin strap the dust and dirt of her and he smiled his smile had none of the cynical derision which had once greeted her appearances as a militant suffragist and yet she thought if he's consistent he ought to loathe me now dorothea going to the war he said not yet worse luck are you going as part of the canadian contingent from overseas or what i wish i was you think they'd take me if i cut my hair off they might they might do anything this is a most extraordinary war it's a war that makes it detestable to be a woman i thought for a moment his old ungovernable devil rose in him what did you think no matter that's all ancient history i say you look like business do you really mean it are you really going to flanders do you suppose any woman would go and get herself up like this if she wasn't going somewhere he said surprisingly i don't see what's wrong with it and then it makes you look about eighteen that's because you can't see my face for the dirt for the chin strap you mean dorothy do you realize that you're not eighteen you're eight and twenty i do she said but i rather hoped you didn't or that if you did you wouldn't say so i realize that i'm thirty-eight and that between us we've made a pretty mess of each other's lives have i made a mess of your life a beastly mess i'm sorry i wouldn't have done it for the world if i'd known you know i wouldn't but one doesn't know things one doesn't if one's dorothea one knows some things awfully well but not the things that matter well but what could i do she said you could have done what you can do now you could have married me and we would have had three years of each other you mean three centuries there was a reason why we couldn't manage it there wasn't a reason there isn't any reason now look here today's wednesday will you marry me on friday if i get leave and a license and fix it up tomorrow we shall have three days three days she seemed to be saying to herself that for three days no it wasn't worth while well three months perhaps perhaps six if my rotten luck doesn't change because i'm doing my level best to make it change so you see it's got to be one thing or another and still she seemed to be considering was it or was it not worth while for god's sake don't say you're going to make conditions there really isn't time for it 
you can think what you like and say what you like and do what you like and wear anything wear a busby i shan't care if you'll only marry me yes that's the way you go on and yet you don't say you love me you never have said it you you're leaving me to do all that why what else have i been doing for seven years nine years ten years nothing nothing at all you just seem to think that i can go off and get married to a man without knowing whether he cares for me or not and now it's too late my hands are all dirty so's my face filthy you mustn't i don't care they're your hands it's your face i don't care the chin-strap the absurd chin-strap fretted his mouth he laughed he said she takes her hat off when she goes into a scrimmage and she keeps it on now she loosened the strap laughing and threw her hat the hat of a canadian trooper onto the floor his mouth moved over her face over her hair pressing hard into their softness his arms clasped her shoulders they slipped to her waist he strained her slender body fast to him straight against his own straightness till the passion and the youth she had denied and destroyed shook her he said to himself she shall come alive she shall feel she shall want me i'll make her i should have thought of this ten years ago her face was smooth it smiled under the touch of his mouth and hands and fear came with her passion she thought supposing something happens before friday if i could only give myself to him now to-night then very gently and very tenderly he released her as if he knew what she was thinking he was sorry for her and afraid poor dorothy who had made such a beastly mess of it who had come alive so late she thought but he wouldn't take me that way he'd loathe me if he knew yet surely there was the same fear in his eyes as he looked at her they were sitting beside each other now talking quietly her face and hands were washed clean as clean she said as they ever would be when i think he said of the years we've wasted i wonder if there was anything that could have prevented it only you're saying what you've said now that it didn't matter that it made no difference to you what i did but you see it made all the difference and there we were it didn't really she shook her head we thought it did no do you remember that morning i fetched you from holloway yes and she said as he had said then i don't want to talk about it i don't want to think about it except that it was dear of you and yet it was from that morning from five thirty a m that we seemed to go wrong there's something i wanted most awfully to say if you could stand going back to it for just one second do you remember saying that i didn't care that i never thought of you when you were in prison or wondered what you were feeling that's what put me off it hurt so atrociously that i couldn't say anything it wasn't true that i didn't think about you i thought about nothing else when i wasn't working i nearly went off my head with thinking and you said i didn't listen to what you told me that wasn't true i was listening like anything darling what did i tell you oh about the thing you called your experience or your adventure or something my adventure that's what you called it a sort of dream you had in prison i couldn't say anything because i was stupid it was beyond me it's beyond me now never mind my adventure what does it matter it matters awfully because i could see that it meant something big and important that i couldn't get the hang of 
it used to bother me i kept on trying to get it and not getting it you poor dear and i've forgotten it it did feel frightfully big and important and real at the time and now it's as if it had happened to somebody else to veronica or somebody not me it was much more like veronica i do understand the rest of that business now i mean i own i didn't at the time it's all over frank and forgotten swallowed up in the war you're not swallowed up perhaps i shall be well if you are if i am all the more reason why i want you to know that i understand what you were driving at it was this way wasn't it you'd got to fight just as i've got to fight you couldn't keep out of it any more than i can keep out of this war you couldn't stay out just for me any more than i can stay out just for you and in a sort of way i'm in it for you and in a sort of way you were in it in that damnable suffrage business for me how clever of you she said to see it i didn't see it then he said simply because there wasn't a war on we both had to pay for my stupidity and mine and my cowardice i ought to have trusted you to see or risked it we should have had three no two years well anyhow we've got this evening we haven't i've got to drive belgians from nine till past midnight we've got friday suppose they'll give me leave to get married in i say how about tomorrow evening i can't yes i can at least i shall there's a girl i know who'll drive for me they'll have to give me leave to get married in too she thought i can't go to flanders now unless he's sent out if he is nothing shall stop me but his coming back again it seemed to her only fair and fitting that they should snatch at their happiness and secure it before their hour came she tried to turn her mind from the fact that at mont the british line was being pressed back and back it would recover of course it would recover we always began like that we went back to go forwards faster when we got into our stride the next evening thursday the girl she knew drove for dorothea when frances was dressing for dinner her daughter came to her with two frocks over her arm mummy ducky she said i think my head's going i can't tell whether to wear the white thing or the blue thing and i feel as if it mattered more than anything more than anything on earth frances considered it dorothea in her uniform and the white frock in the blue frock it doesn't matter a little bit she said if he could propose to you in that get-up can't you see that i want to make up for that and for all the things he's missed the things i haven't given him if only i was as beautiful as you mummy it wouldn't matter my dear my dear dorothy had never been a pathetic child not half so pathetic as nicky with his recklessness and his earache but this grown-up dorothy in khaki breeches with her talk about white frocks and blue frocks made frances want to cry frank was late and just before dinner he telephoned to dorothy that he couldn't be with her before nine and that he would only have one hour to give her frances and anthony looked at each other but dorothy looked at veronica what's the matter ronnie you look simply awful do i my head's splitting i think i'll go and lie down you'd better go straight to bed said frances and let nana bring you some hot soup but veronica did not want nana and hot soup she only wanted to take herself and her awful look away out of dorothy's sight well said anthony 
if she's going to worry herself sick about Nicky now. Frances knew that she was not worrying about Nicky. It was nine o'clock. At any minute now, Frank might be there. Dorothy thought, supposing he hasn't got leave. But she knew that was not likely. If he hadn't got leave, he would have said so when he telephoned. The hour that was coming had the color of yesterday. He would hold her in his arms again till she trembled, and then he would be afraid and she would be afraid and he would let her go. The bell rang, the garden gate swung open. His feet were loud and quick on the flagged path of the terrace. He came into the room to them, holding himself rather stiffly and very upright. His eyes shone with excitement. He laughed the laugh she loved, then narrowed his eyes and jerked his mouth slightly crooked. They all spoke at once. You've got leave? He's got it all right. What kept you? You have got leave. His eyes still shone, his mouth still jerked, laughing. Well, no, he said, that's what I haven't got. In fact, I'm lucky to be here at all. Nana came in with the coffee. He took his cup from her and sat down on the sofa beside Francis, stirring his coffee with his spoon and smiling as if at something pleasant that he knew, something that he would tell them presently when Nana left the room. The door closed softly behind her. He seemed to be listening intently for the click of the latch. Funny chaps, he said meditatively. They keep putting you off till you come and tell them you want to get married tomorrow. Then they say they're sorry, but your marching orders are fixed for that day. Twelve hours isn't much notice to give a fellow. He had not looked at Dorothy. He had not spoken to her. He was speaking to Anthony and John and Francis, who were asking questions about trains and boats and his kit and his people. He looked as if he were not conscious of Dorothy's eyes fixed on him as he sat, slowly stirring his coffee without drinking it. The vibration of her nerves made his answers sound muffled and far off. She knew that her hour was dwindling slowly, wasting, passing from her minute by minute as they talked. She had an intolerable longing to be alone with him, to be taken in his arms, to feel what she had felt yesterday. It was as if her soul stood still there in yesterday and refused to move on into today. Yet she was glad of their talking. It put off the end. When they stopped talking and got up and left her alone with him, that would be the end. Suddenly he looked straight at her. His hands trembled. The cup he had not drunk from rattled in its saucer. It seemed to Dorothea that for a moment the whole room was hushed to listen to that small sound. She saw her mother take the cup from him and set it on the table. One by one they got up and slunk out of the room, as if they were guilty, and left her alone with him. It was not like yesterday. He did not take her in his arms. He sat there looking at her rather anxiously, keeping his distance. He seemed to be wondering how she was going to take it. He thought, I'd made a mess of it again. It wasn't fair to make her want me when I might have known I ought to have left it. And suddenly her soul swung round, released from yesterday. She knew what he had wanted yesterday, that her senses should be ready to follow where her heart led. But that was not the readiness he required from her today. Rather, it was what his anxious eyes implored her to put away from her. There was something more. He wasn't going to say the obvious things, the, well, this is hard luck on both of us. You must be brave. Don't make it too hard for me. 
she could have made it intolerable it wasn't that he knew she was brave he knew she wouldn't make it hard for him he knew he hadn't got to say the obvious things there was something more something tremendous it came to her with the power and sweetness of first passion but without its fear she no longer wanted him to take her in his arms and hold her as he had held her yesterday her swinging soul was steady it vibrated to an intenser rhythm she knew nothing now but that what she saw was real and that they were seeing it together it was reality itself it was more than they when realization passed it would endure never as long as they lived would they be able to speak of it to say to each other what it was they felt and saw he said i shall have to go soon and she said i know is there anything i can do i wish you'd go and see my mother sometime she'd like it i should love to go and see her what else well i've no business to ask you but i wish you'd give it up i'll give anything up but what that ambulance of yours that's going to get into the firing line oh i know why you want to get there you want to tackle the hardest and most dangerous job naturally but it won't make it easier for us to win the war you can't expect us to fight so comfy and to be killed so comfy if we know our womankind are being pounded to bits in the ground we've just cleared if i thought you were knocking about anywhere there it would make it too hard it would make me jumpy the chances are i shouldn't have much time to think about it but when i did you'd think she might have spared me that yes and you might think of your people it's bad enough for them nicky going it isn't only that i'd have liked to be where you'll be and where he'll be that was natural it's also natural that we should like to find you here when we come back i was thinking of those belgian women and the babies in england so safe frank so disgustingly safe i know leaving the children in the burning house she had said that once and he had remembered you can do more for them by staying in england i'm asking you to take the hardest job really it isn't if it's what you want most he had risen he was going his hands were on her shoulders and they were still discussing it as if it were the most momentous thing of course she said i won't go if you feel like that about it i want you to fight comfy you mustn't worry about me nor you about me i shall be all right remember it's your war too it's the biggest fight for freedom i know she said and then have you got all your things somebody's got em i haven't given you anything you must have my wrist-watch she unstrapped the leather band and put it on him my wrist's a whopper well so's mine it'll just meet at the last hole it's phosphorus she said you can see the time by it in the dark i've nothing for you except he fumbled in his pockets i say here's the wedding ring they laughed what more could you want she said he put it on her finger she raised her face to him and he stooped and kissed her he held her for a minute in his arms but it was not like yesterday suddenly his face stiffened tell them he said that i'm going the british were retreating from mons the german attack was not like the advance of an army but like the travelling of an earthquake the bursting of a sea-wall there was no end to the grey battalions no end to the german army no end to the german people 
and there was no news of British reinforcements or rumour of reinforcements. They come on like waves, like waves, said Dorothea, reading from the papers. I wouldn't read about it if I were you, darling, said Francis. Why not? It isn't going to last long. We'll rally, see if we don't. Dorothea's clear, hard mind had gone under for the time, given way before that inconceivable advance. She didn't believe in the retreat from Mons. It wouldn't go on. Reinforcements had been sent. Of course they had been sent. If Frank was ordered off at twelve hours' notice, that meant reinforcements, or there wouldn't be any sense in it. They would stop the retreat. We were sitting here safe, and the least we could do for them was to trust them, and not believe any tales of their retreating. And all the time she wondered how news of him would come. By wire? By letter? By telephone? She was glad that she hadn't got to wait at home, listening for the clanging of the garden gate, the knock, the ringing of the bell. She waited five days, and on the evening of the sixth day the message came from his mother to her mother. Tell your dear child for me that my son was killed five days ago in the retreat from Mont, and ask her to come and see me, but not just yet. She had enclosed copies of the official telegram and the letter from his colonel. After Mont, the siege of Antwerp, the refugees poured into Cannon Street Station. Dorothea tried hard to drown her grief in the grief of Belgium, but she could not drown it. She could only poison it with thoughts that turned it into something more terrible than grief. They came to her regularly, beginning after midnight, when she lay in bed and should have slept, worn out with her hard day's driving. She thought, I could bear it if I hadn't wasted the time we might have had together. All those years, like a fool, over that silly suffrage. I could bear it if I hadn't been cruel to him. I talked to him like a brute and an idiot. I told him he didn't care for freedom, and he's died for it. He remembered that. It was one of the last things he remembered. He said, it's your war. It's the biggest fight for freedom. And he's killed in it. I could bear it if I'd given myself to him that night, even for one night. How do you know he'd have loathed it? I ought to have risked it. I was a coward. He got nothing. His persistent image in her memory tortured her. It was an illusion that prolonged her sense of his material presence, urging it towards a contact that was never reached. Death had no power over this illusion. She could not see Drayton's face dead among the dead. Obsessed by her illusion, she had lost her hold on the reality that they had seen and felt together. All sense of it was gone, as if she had dreamed it or made it up. Presently she would not have her work to keep her from thinking. The ambulance corps was going out to Flanders at the end of September, and it would take her car with it and a new driver. Frances's heart ached when she looked at her. If I could only help you. You can't, Mummy Ducky, she would say. And she would get up and leave the room where Frances was. Sometimes she would go to Veronica, but more often she hid away somewhere by herself. Frances thought, she is out of my reach. I can't get at her. She'll go to anybody rather than to me. It used to be Rosalind, now it's Veronica. But Dorothy could not speak about Drayton to her mother. Only to Veronica, trying to comfort her, she said, I could bear it if he'd been killed in an attack. But to go straight like that into the retreat, he couldn't have had five hours fighting. And to be killed retreating, he got nothing out of it but agony. 
Veronica said, how do you know he got nothing out of it? You don't know what he may have got in the last minute of it. Ronnie, I don't believe I should mind so much if I were going out to Flanders, if there was the least little chance of a bullet getting me. But I gave him my word I wouldn't go. Do you think I'm bound by that now? Now? You're more bound than ever because he's more near you, more alive. You wouldn't say that if you loved him. One day, a package came to her from Eltham. Two notes were enclosed with it, one from Drayton's mother and one from Drayton. Frank said I was to send you this if he was killed. I think he must have known that he would not come back. My dear Dorothy, you will think this is a very singular bequest, but I want you to see that my memory is fairly good. The very singular bequest was a Bible, with three cigarette lighters for markers, and a date on the fly-leaf, July 5th, 1912. The cigarette lighters referred to, to Psalm 144, and Isaiah 35 and 40, and pencil marks to the verses. Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teacheth my hands to war, and my fingers to fight. And an highway shall be there. The redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings as eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. And their last hour came back to her with its mysterious, sweet and powerful passion that had no fear in it, and she laid hold again on the reality they had seen and felt together. The moment passed. She wanted it to come back, for as long as it lasted she was at peace. But it did not come back. Nothing came back but her anguish of remorse for all that she had wasted. End of Part 3, Chapter 20 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine